Hello, Managing Madrid Podcast listeners. This is your host, Kian Sobani. In a moment, I'm going to be joined by our very own Ewan McTeer to break down what happened in the Madrid Derby. Before we get underway, I just want to bring to your attention that if you're not a patron over at patreon.com slash managingmadrid, you're missing out on a ton of content. This week, we have some big shows lined up, including our Lone Tracker podcast on Tuesday, which may feature a big guest who's been on the podcast before. We'll keep it a secret for now. And then on Thursday, we have the post-game show for the Real Sociedad game, as well as a mailbag happening. Right now, we're only doing one free show per week, and that's this one. It's the weekend show, and we're making a big push to get to 1,000 patrons in 2020. Once we get there with your help, we're going to do a bunch of giveaways, signed jerseys, swag, all kinds of cool stuff, and you'll be getting a ton of value once you sign up. Make sure to get in on the action if you haven't already. All right, let's get to the podcast. Here's the post-game show with Ewan McTeer. Let's go. Nice article in the Managing Madrid uh, blog. Uh, wonderful lads that do a great job there. And worth reading about that man there. Karim Benzema needs to rest and the numbers reveal why. Welcome to the Managing Madrid podcast, where we are recording this shortly after Real Madrid finally beat Atletico Madrid at the Bernabeu, and Karim Benzema finally scores against Atletico Madrid at the Bernabeu. But still, it was hard. Unexpectedly, Atletico made it really difficult. It was grinded out against really two of the best defensive teams in the world. And now Atletico find themselves 13 points back of first place. What a day. A lot to talk about. And joining me, Keon Sobani, to break it all down is Ewan McTeer, who was there at the Burnabout to take it all in. Ewan, how you doing? Yeah, good, good. How's yourself? I'm good. I mentioned to you off air, running on very little sleep right now, purely adrenaline, um, <laughs> fueled by this this victory at the Burnabout. Um, I suppose you, you might be di- experiencing a different emotion than I am. You were there at the stadium. Um, you... You know, we'll talk about all the post-game press conferences and stuff, which you just come out of. Um, but pretty much, just, is, was it the same vibe as as normal derbies? I know you wrote a little bit about you know Morata and Marcos Llorente returning. Seemed crowd seemed indifferent to Marcos, but Morata, um, Morata maybe not so much. Yeah, I mean the crowd was really into it. This was uh, it was maybe one of the better atmospheres I've I've ever seen. It. The the burnabout was it was packed. People were up for it. You know, a good kickoff time as well, middle of the day. In the sun, and from yeah, from the very start, the crowd were into it, and there were a couple of moments, especially in the second half, where like some tackles flying in. There was one where Carvajal did really well to to win the ball back. I don't even think he won the ball back. I think he put it out for a throw in, yeah. and the crowd just sort of just crescendoed and crescendoed into this big this big roar. And I was looking around, like looking down at the sidelines, is is someone coming on? Is there a sub? Like, um, like is Raúl about to come on as a sub? Like, why is everyone going crazy? It's, oh, just because Carvajal. Uh, put the ball out for a throw-in, but it was the the effort that he put in that the crowd responded by putting in some effort as well. You know, sometimes at the burnabout can be a bit quiet, especially when Real Madrid's winning. But this was a game where you know it was close all the way through, only one goal, and they knew what it meant. It was not just a derby; it was a a chance to to go six points ahead of Barcelona at least temporarily. Carvajal had a couple moments like that where it was one where. Um... I don't remember who it was now, who the player was, but Carvajal somehow keeps the ball in play, and then uh, he earns a corner kick. 
And the said player, I don't know if it was, uh, I, I want to say it was Felipe, but I'm not sure. He runs over to the linesman and is like, it was yelling at the linesman. The crowd really gets into it there. Funnily enough, like the Bernabeu actually in derbies, I find is more quiet than anything because Atletico have this ability to suck the life out of the game. Um, for for kind of the hype that we give the Madrid derby, oh, we get excited, Madrid derby, Madrid derby. It's actually one of the most boring games on earth. And especially Absolutely. from a neutral point of view. And it's not that fun. This one had a little bit of life in the second half. Um, it's funny, you know, Zidane hammered the point again after the game. Defense, like we, we win the ball. We win the ball in these dangerous areas. We work hard collectively. Defense, defense, defense. I can't believe, even when I was saying the intro, when I said this is, was between the two of the best teams in the world, it almost felt surreal saying that because when I'm used to saying that about, about Atletico, but Real Madrid in the same breath as that is incredible given that now, as you mentioned in your, in your post-game piece, Courtois is on pace to finally nab the Zamora trophy. You know, we'll see what happens at the end of the season uh, from All Black. And... Um, and they continue to be one of the best defensive teams in all of Europe, statistically speaking. Yeah, I mean, there was never going to be many goals in this one, was it? I mean, uh, before I was going to the game, everyone was saying, oh, it'll be a good game, it'll be a good game. And I was like, no, it probably won't. <laughs> the Madrid derby, to your point, has often not been a very good game. And part of the reason for that is we don't have many goals. And part of the reason for that is this game features two of the best goalkeepers in the world, if not the best. So, I mean, Marcus front page... Uh, the other day was was a picture of um, a nice kind of Photoshop of Oblak and Courtois diving to to save the same ball, and that's kind of the story of the Madrid derby in recent times. I mean, the one earlier in the season was nil, the Super Cup one was nil nil until the penalties. Uh, this fixture last year was nil nil uh, with uh, Oblak and Courtois coming up with one really good save each in that game. So, you know. You're expecting it to be a bit tense, not many chances. Atletico, as you mentioned, can suck the life out of a game. And I guess we'll get into this. Real Madrid didn't really uh, help their situation by playing that five-man midfield, which kept possession. But against Atletico, that's not really going to work. Atletico are happy for you to keep the ball, pass it around. Atletico are absolutely thrilled if you have the ball with Isco, who does a little trick, does a little pass, does a little flick, and then passes it backwards. That's absolutely fine for Atletico. And... The passing wasn't that slick either, so Atletico did be able to win the ball a few times and get the ball upfield quite quickly, you know, one, two, three, as soon as they won the ball and try and create some chances. So, you know, Real Madrid's tactics in the first half were a little bit strange considering you know what Atletico Madrid are like and they played into their hand a little bit. But then this brings us on to the changes that Zidane made at halftime, which completely changed the entire game, I think. That is about as, as accurate as assessment you can get from this game. And I think, but just to go a little bit deeper into it, um, the when it when that same lineup went in against Valencia and Jeddah in Supercopa and just completely destroyed them, though I think that skewed our perception of how good that lineup actually is. Now, I'm not saying it's not a good lineup. It clearly was that, that day, and I think it can be moving forward. I think... There are very few teams that you might need to think differently against, and one of them is Atletico, because mm-hmm. for all their um, for all their struggles, for all the kind of pregame, like I, I just remember doing the, the a Q and A with Jeremy of Into the Calderon. Obviously, you write for them too um, about just like you know, just touching base. How are you feeling? You know, latest updates. Joao Felix injured. You're down ten points in the league. You just been knocked out of Copa del Rey, and his answers were just like so almost like defeatist and uh, I almost like 
but but even despite all of that they're defending still like no questions asked they just it's just routine for them they close the half spaces they close the passing lanes they they take space away from you just when you think you have a little bit of space there's like four four red red and white shirts surrounding you they're so good at that and like you said they're they're totally okay if they just don't see the ball and i think that was the main difference why it worked against valencia and why it didn't work against atleti valencia just didn't put any pressure on cross casemiro any of the off ball runs nothing which was surprising to me because Valencia always, if anything, they go up to another gear against us. And and finally enough, all those things that they should have done against us, they did it against Barca, which Real Madrid fans always complain about, like, oh, how come Valencia only shows up against Real Madrid, not Barcelona? It was kind of flipped this time. But then I thought Ewan, like, I was like, what's the alternative? Zidane could play 4-3-3, could play a different formation. I just feel like almost no matter what you put out, it's against Atletico, it's just going to be hard. And we have like a whole sample size of this, like dating back to 2012. Basically, or basically, you can go back farther to when Simeone came uh, to Atleti. It's just no matter what you put out there, it's going to be very difficult to break them down. So part of me also was like, okay, well, that's like a fair point to, to counter this. But then, then you saw the difference between the first and the second half. So you mentioned a little bit about Isco and stuff. Um, I guess... It wasn't so surprising to me that Isco came on at halftime. I'm surprised the substitution came that early. I was more surprised to see Kroos go off because he's the architect of Real Madrid's essentially only two chances, both of them to Ramos, one of them pretty clear-cut. And uh, Ramos clearly is not a striker. I don't. Maybe it's not fair to expect him to score from that at the top of the box. But were you surprised when you saw those subs at halftime or not? Um, a little bit. It was quite interesting because the last sort of uh, maybe three or four minutes of, of the halftime break, Zidane was out in the touchline already. And I kind of looked down and they have the usual thing where they have like two kids running about the pitch doing some competition or whatever. And, you, you know, you can see the groundsman looking on, like, just get these kids off the pitch, please, and uh, let us go about our business. And that kind of all finished, died down, and I was just kind of waiting for the second half. And I noticed Zidane was out there on the touchline because Vinicius and Lucas were warming up on the pitch. Um, and then he brought them each over one by one to have a quick sort of uh, quiet word with them and then sent them in to, to quickly get changed and come back out. So you knew the changes were coming already about five minutes or you know three or four minutes before the second half started. But it was I didn't expect it to be both the changes. I was, OK, one of Lucas or Vinicius is coming on and then both of them came on, which is very, very surprising because Zidane just doesn't do that. Zidane doesn't do halftime substitutions almost at all. I can't remember the last time he it's did rare. one that wasn't for an injury. And to do two was, was quite something. So he obviously wanted to fix things. And I guess he did have to make two because if he wanted to move from the five-man midfield to the 4-3-3, three, three, there's, no, there's no halfway between that. You can't take off one of Iskor Cruz and put on one of Lucas or Vinicius and then 10 minutes later bring on the other one. If you're going to switch, you have to switch and you have to make two subs to be make that switch to a 4 3, three. So I wasn't too surprised. And he spoke about it afterwards about the players he took off. He said, OK, I took off Isco and Cruz, but it could have been any of the, the midfielders, I guess, apart from Casemiro. But I guess he means he could have taken off Valverde or Modric instead. Yeah. Um, it made sense, I think, because they both had good first halves. I thought Modric and, and Valverde. So it made sense. It was logical. And then Vinicius and Lucas Vasquez were, were both really good, in particular Vinicius, and that kind of changed the whole dynamic of the game. So it's... It's interesting to see that he started with that five-man midfield and he spoke about that as well in the press conference saying, as someone puts him, do you think the 4-3-3 is the better formation? And he said, well, not necessarily. We were really good with that 
five-man midfield against Valencia in the Super Cup, as you were saying. So today it didn't work, but that doesn't mean it's not a viable option for some games. I just don't think against Atletico it made much sense. And remember, in the final of the, the Super Cup in Saudi Arabia, he also played with this same formation, and it didn't really work. I mean, they won the Super Cup, but not because of what happened in the 90 minutes or extra time. It was because of the penalties. So he'd already tried it. It hadn't really worked against Atletico. He's tried it again. I don't think we'll be seeing that against Atletico um, whenever they next play or against a team a bit like Atletico, teams that maybe sit back um, next time they have to play, I don't know, um, Hitafi or, or somebody like that. Um, I don't think Zidane's going to go for that option. But it's good to know that he has these two different, very different systems that aren't just nuances of each other. They're very different in their own way. And he has these two options, which is going to keep opposition coaches on their toes. You look at Guardiola. Guardiola must be watching Real Madrid matches right now thinking, I have no idea which version I'm going to get when we're playing the Champions League. Yeah, yeah. Um, that, that's 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 always the X factor was he down in these Champions League knockout ties. You just never know. I did, what like You mentioned like when was the last time that happened at halftime. I don't remember it happening at halftime, but then again... Um, it's hard for me to remember any of these subs and like they basically there's so much happening over the years. But the one thing that it reminded me of against PSG in 2017, where things weren't Ooh. going his way, and then he brings on Asensio, Bale, and I believe Lucas Vasquez was the other one. He started to play with a little bit of width, and then PSG just basically capitulated. And I think I didn't really know exactly what was going to change um, when when I saw those subs at halftime. Um, like, I know the difference between Vinicius and Isco. There's no question that they're different players. But I wasn't sure if that was going to necessarily break Atleti down. Then you see it. Then you're like, wow, this is exactly what they were missing. Because And the other, mm. the other thing we have to keep in mind is it wasn't just the two substitutions for Real Madrid. It was the fact that Murata picked up an injury within yeah. about three minutes. So not only did you have Vinicius and Lucas coming on, but you had Atleti losing the guy who had been their best player in the first half, holding yep. the ball up really well, some really nice touches that... Vitolo time and again couldn't quite get on the same wavelength so they lost their best player they lost their hold up man uh, right at the start and there was no replacement for him in the end um, you know they brought on they brought on the kid uh, Camelo but uh, at that point Atletico just kind of stuck with an extra midfielder it was kind of Korea up top leading the line and that change came at the same time basically as Real Madrid's change and we got a completely different different second half yep um, and I think, like, when you look at East Coast touches in the first half, um, in a vacuum, good stuff. Like, he, he, but he, but he was playing a little deeper. Like, he had, like, some of those magical touches against, um, uh, I believe he just turned Marco Sirente inside and out on the, on the wing that one, one time. Um, had a couple of good defensive moments where, he, you know, one where he threw Thomas Partey off his run when he was trying to bring the ball forward and, kind of made an made, made an inter- intervention there but then you look at all of his touches and they're all deep and to the left and then you look at and, and so Mendy wasn't really getting much support on the overlap and I think that was the key like you look at uh similar to the derby at the Wanda like everything went through the flanks that day if you remember where it was like Trippier mm. um and Nacho and Carvajal and uh, I believe Lodi played that game. I don't remember. And then it was like they were just canceling each other out. This one was on that one side, Carvajal and Fede Valverde versus Saul and Lodi. I thought all four of those players actually played good today defensively. Um, and they weren't really budging. And then on the other side, I thought Correa and Versaico and Savage and everyone on that right side had too much comfort against Isco and Mendy because Isco wasn't really making those runs 
that Mendy needed help with. And then you see Vinicius come in, and like right away they connect and they start putting pressure on Versaico and Correa. And the the goal was awesome because Vinicius. And it was funny he 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 mentioned after the game like this is something that they practice in in training where they're like you know the the fullback passes it moves off the shoulder and then they receive the through ball it was like and it, and it worked to a t through ball was great the way he held it mendy's run was perfect the pass was great benzema's finished great in between basically felipe savage and lodi whoever was marking him there just couldn't couldn't get a hold of him and vinicius had moments like that where he put pressure on atleti's back line um and then you know part of me when i saw Kroos came out at halftime i thought to myself i bet you after the game we're gonna see zidane say it was like, you know, he had a knock or something. No, it was just a purely tactical decision. You said, and, and then you mentioned, you brought out the point that if you're going to bring one of them, you're going to basically go with two wingers. You you might as well do both at the same time. And and Kroos was one of the sacrificial lambs and, and Vasquez on the other side. Um, I know, like, I wanted to ask you this about, because the Super Copa was the same. Fede Valverde, another standout again. I just I'm thoroughly impressed. Like, the, the team's dynamic completely changes him on the field. I was impressed with him in the sense that in all three of these times that Zidane has played this formation, Valencia, Atleti, twice, he's basically a traditional right winger, and he does really well. Um, I don't know. He was just a really good standout to me today. I think, like, um, given that it's not his ideal position, it, it kind of reminded me in the sense that Saul sometimes is basically a, a winger, and even though it's not his best position, he's so good at so many different things that he looks good there anyway, but... Um, his passing, um, his defensive work on Morata, Saul, Lodi, kind of just running back to defend, even against Lamar in the second half. I, I was just really impressed with him. Yeah, he was great. And the, the way you mentioned it, he, he was basically a right winger, but he just played the same sort of way. We were so used to seeing him just drive the ball forward through the middle, uh, yeah. opening lanes, making passes. He just did the same, but it was just moved over about you know 20 yards to the right. It was... It was the same thing, but just in a different area of the pitch. And especially in the first half, there were a few moments where, um, well, in the first half when he was a, a right winger, there were a few moments where Real Madrid countered and they got it out to him quickly. And he was just bursting up that, that wing. And just there wasn't enough support on a couple of occasions for him to make a pass into the middle. And he kind of had to slow down once he got to a certain point. But yeah, Freddy Valverde was just his all-round usual self. Um, when they played in the, the midweek cup game and... and um, you saw, you know, Valverde uh, getting rested. It's like, okay, this is this is for the derby. This is this is why this is happening. So, yeah, he was he was terrific. But for me, the man of the, man of the match for me has to be Mendy. Can we have a bit yes. of a Fairland Mendy appreciation um, hour? Because yes. Yes. I think this was his his best game with Real Madrid. He's been so good defensively, but this game he really turned up in an offensive sense as well, uh, especially when Vinicius came on. And it makes sense because they really had to attack that side for Atletico. For Salzko, he he shouldn't be playing for Atletico Madrid right now. He is only playing because at this moment in time, their first two choices for right back are both injured. So he's playing there. He's come back from a massive long injury for for the best part of a year. And you have to exploit that. And they did with Vinicius and with uh, Ferran Mwandi in the second half. And that pass, you mentioned it before. It was absolutely perfect. It, it had to be yeah. exactly where it was. If it was a little bit more to the left, Oblak catches it. If it's a little bit more to the right, one of the defenders blocks it. It had to curve exactly the way it curved. 
um, Benzema did the rest. And it wasn't just that. There were a few nice dribbles as well that he had going forward. Lots of nice passes, lots of neat touches. And defensively, of course, he was his usual self. So that's really encouraging to see because the only thing you lose, I think, with having him instead of Marcelo is something offensively, but not not today. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, while no one will be Marcelo offensively, I honestly, I'd be surprised if I saw a left back as good as Marcelo in my lifetime. But, you know, maybe. Um, he's not, you know, relative to Marcelo, he's he's obviously not as good offensively. But he's 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 not he's not bad. He's pretty good. He's a good ball carrier. He gets he's I mentioned this on the on the last postgame podcast. I think it was I don't know if it was the last one. I think it was against Sevilla. Um He's kind of unorthodox offensively, and it just it works. Whatever he does, you know, when he bulldozes people, he dribbles past him. He's like a bowling ball sometimes, but he also has like a nice finesse to him. But it's a different kind of finesse where he can he can get the ball past somebody, get across, and his crossing has to improve. But again, like today's the cross today was awesome, and even defensively, like yeah, you you see the obvious things like the tackling, the tracking back. Some, um, it's just. Even when you watch him off the ball, it's like those subtle things. Like he, he makes sure that one, the guy he's marking never gets behind him. It's actually like it's really impressive. Like he's so focused and locked in defensively, and that's I think he's definitely. I mean, he's he's the reason Ramos is having such a good year. You know, Ramos Ramos's life has been made like three hundred times easier because he's arrived this this season compared to last year. Yeah. Less, there's less defensive tests for Ramos, to your point. Like, it's like with Marcelo, he always had to be aware to cover. That half space in between them was always vulnerable. Um, I think so. It's interesting because you try to make sense of the collapse last season, right? It's like after the World Cup, because someone mentioned like Varan basically after the World Cup, how uh, one of our patrons had submitted this question after the game. Like, Varan after the World Cup, like what happened to him? And then night and day this season, last season. And but you can make a whole list of players who went through this post World Cup like whatever you I don't know what it was it's like someone zapped their skill from them like Space Jam where like Varan, um, <laughs> Casemiro was not good last season, Kroos, uh, Modric, and then you you fast forward this season and you're like everything everything just somehow clicked into to place and then you're like you want to give credit to Zidane I think you give a lot of credit for to Zidane for doing that because I think to revive this core was very difficult um, and now you look at all the things that are just working Courtois it's all connected right you know there's like I'm not sure if like you can point to one specific thing although Mendy is a good shout Courtois has improved um, Ramos has been good this season Varane has been good underrated even I think no one's really talking about him uh, Mendy's been good defensively Casemiro is in position to cover Fede Valverde has helped a lot and all of a sudden, you put all those together, bam. This is like maybe, along with Liverpool and Atletico, the best defensive team in Europe right now. Um, it's pretty – it's kind of mind-blowing. And I'm just kind of being cautious with it. But it's – right now, it's looking good. Um, what other talking points do you have that you want to you wanna discuss? Yeah, I mean, well, with this one, we've, we've spoken about the, the players who stood out. We've spoken about – um, Courtois, the defence we've spoken about the tactics one thing I guess is the, the referee and the VAR, the penalty um, both the coaches were sort of asked about this in the press conference they wanted to avoid it the Casemiro incident on Marat in the first half Yeah. Um, I mean it's one of these ones that I think probably was a penalty but then 
I, as I put in the the three questions and three answers piece, I did. You know, maybe this is the karma from the non-penalty calls in the camp now. And basically, the sort of message I would try to make is like, let's not freak out over one decision in one game because over a whole season these things do tend to even out. So when there is a penalty that goes for you or a penalty that goes against you in one game, don't think it's a big conspiracy. Don't think everyone's out to um, get your team or favour that team. You know, two or three weeks later, you know, the opposite will probably happen. So I don't know what you thought of the, the incident. The first time I saw it, I thought it was just two guys running at the same time. They sort of just fell into each other and, and both fell over. But the, the more replays I saw, it kind of looked a bit more like Murata doesn't fall if Casemiro doesn't lean in the, in the way he does. Yeah, the first time I saw it, I thought it was a penalty. Actually, in real time, I was like, that's a penalty. Like, Casemiro just blocks him in the in the box. And then I saw the first replay, and I was like, oh, that's not a foul. Casemiro gets the ball, and then he falls, and then Morata just falls over him. And then I saw the second penalty, replay, and I thought, oh, that is a penalty. They got away with it. Um, I guess I was surprised that VAR didn't look at it. Or maybe they, they did, um, and then they just quickly told the referee that it's no penalty. Yeah, and the way they moved VAR's on. always looking. VAR's always watching. Yeah. VAR's um, always looking. But... It does even out. I, I mention this sometimes, like once or twice a year when this topic comes up. Like La Liga referees just get so much wrong every week, regardless of the game. And I don't I don't believe that there's favoritism. And I think if if you if the big if the smaller teams in La Liga had more of a voice, more coverage, there's bad calls in basically every La Liga game. Like from from top to bottom, every team in the league gets screwed and favored like week in week out. Um, but you know. It, it is what it is. Um, oh, there was one. Oh, I wanted to ask you. Uh, this is the actually the question I had. I was most excited to ask you. Obviously, the chance about you know Real Madrid fans um, chanting for Simeone to stay. Where do you sit on this? <laughs> um, yeah. So towards the end, in stoppage time, once it was clear Real Madrid were going to to win, everyone everyone singing Cholo Quédate, Cholo Stay. They asked Simeone about this in the press conference. He said he didn't hear anything, which is mm. a blatant lie. Um, the the fans had quite a lot of chances. They they were chanting against Morata a lot as well. Um, there was you know uh, they were chanting about the Champions League finals they won against Atleti. Um, the fans had the full songbook was out today. But yeah, the the Simeone one at the end. I would just say be careful what you wish for. You know, Simeone. I don't think it's going anywhere anytime soon. I mean, for Atletico, this is a transition year. He said that some people say it's an excuse. It maybe is an excuse, but it's a fair one, I think, because they lost, you know, six of their main starters from last season and brought in six new players. You can't just flip half a team one uh, one click of the finger. So it's going to take some time. So I think this is a bit of a transition year. And then I think next year, once they've had that year, they should be expected to compete again. And Simeone, if he's going to lead the team through this rough patch, this difficult time, this transition... I think he knows and feels he deserves to be there to try and then win things once that transition's over. So I think he'll be there next season. And I would just say, yeah, be careful what you wish for, you know. Um, Simeone has a good record against Real Madrid overall. Um, Real Madrid have won this derby, but as we've mentioned, it's uh, the six previous years, this fixture, Atletico had won three of them, drawn three of them. So I think Simeone is going to stick around and um, some Real Madrid fans might wish he he hadn't because if Simeone were to leave, uh, I don't think things get better. I think things get worse for Atletico Madrid. So um, he's going to stick around and uh, hear many more chants or not hear them. 
um, as the light does in the press conference. I know you wrote about this too. Um, just the, the idea of the transition year and whether Cholo should stay or go, and and kind of you lean obviously towards that he sh- he should stay. I think absolutely. I do think that, um, and this is purely from a neutral standpoint, and kind of from a, from also a La Liga fan standpoint, that you know there are there are glimpses of Atletico when they have to attack, and they you're like, oh, they actually can, and they're actually very good at it. Like I just keep referring back to the Super Copa semifinal where all of a sudden <laughs> Atletico needed a goal, and they just completely ripped through Barcelona. Like, they just destroyed their high line over and over again. Like, wait, this was an option the whole time? Why didn't we... I think just from an... I, I, I just wish that, like, there was a coach that, like, came in and was like, well, maybe we could just do more of that and make things more fun. That That's just kind of, like, from a almost a neutral point of view or, like, a fan point of view. Is there a coach that would just tap into that more is my question. Um, I know... I don't know how yeah. Atletico fans feel generally about it. I know Jeremy, I think, was saying that he he kind of thinks like this team probably needs a new direction. Um, you know, I just I just wonder if there's someone who can tap into the offensive potency a little bit more. Yeah, but then the thing with with the Simeone subject is it's not just the tactics. We look at the tactics, we look at the way Atletico players should play. But if you take away Simeone, you're not just changing tactics; you're changing the whole essence of the club. Simeone is Atletico Madrid. I mean. Luis Aragonés and Simeone are both like the greatest coaches they've ever had, and yeah. and they embody the sort of spirit. It's not Atletico didn't just get good because Simeone had a certain set of tactics. They got good because he brought this mentality, this fighting spirit, and that completely changed the team. and And remember, Simeone can play attacking football. When he was coaching in Argentina, I mean, he you know played some really nice formations. He played like three five two formations, and um, but really attacking. Uh, he said he took a lot of inspiration from Marcelo Bielsa, one of the, the coaches he, he worked under and, and learned from. And he just kind of took a little bit from, from everybody that he came up through. And then his line that he's always said is, I'm going to use the tactics to best fit the players I have. And Atletico, the players he has, tend to be good defenders, tend to be lots of central midfielders. I mean, you have Saul and Koki who basically have to start every game. So you have to build a system around that, I think. Um, or at least he thinks he has to. So I don't really... The problem is with certain games at home, you play a home game against Granada like they will next week. You play a home game yeah. against Leganes like they did last week. You have to attack a bit more. You have to be a bit more adventurous. But well, it's even the cup because game against the third division the cup game as well, of course. Um, although in that game, I mean, they had they created so many chances that that was a bit of a um, a bit of a fluke result that they lost it. But um, yeah, they could have been even more attacking, but they did create, you know... Um, about double, triple the number of chances the other team did. But what you have to remember, when they won the league in 2013-14, they were able to win it because teams didn't sit back against Atletico the way they do now. Because Atletico wasn't a giant then. Atletico mm. was considered the same way as Valencia or Sevilla. So certain teams would go and try and attack them and they could just get them on the counter-attack. And just the way they did against Barcelona in the Super Cup or mm. you know, the way they've done in the Champions League against some big teams. But now that Atletico have won the league, now they have that status, now they have this um, essence, this this feeling that they're a giant of Spanish football, when they play the smaller teams, they're just going to sit back. So it's it's not just that the tactics have changed or haven't changed and stalled, it's that the way teams play against Atletico is much, much different now compared to in 2013-14 when they won the league. And that's not going to change. Teams aren't going to 
play against Atletico the way they did in 2013-14. So you do have to evolve. And I think Simeone did evolve a little bit under Griezmann, um, uh, with Griezmann. You know, Griezmann was the kind of player that you have to move around and get the most out of and, and give a bit of creative license to. But now that they've lost him, they just they just lack an attack. I mean, that's why they've yeah. been trying so much in the transfer window to bring someone in. And, um, you know, they've got Murata. Uh, he's injured again. I mean, it's just going to be a bit of a disaster for the next few weeks if Murata's out because they don't have anyone else. Carrasco is interesting just for the sheer fact that, mm. like, he was such a polarizing figure when he was last Atletico in the sense that so talented, so, like, terrifying to play against in that Champions League final, I remember. Then you look mm. at some of his decision-making pissed off teammates who are wide open don't get the ball things like that but he's there's no doubt he can actually like pierce through defense defenders you know if if he's on his day so this team now is (laughs) fifth well uh yeah i thought they have a given hand um real sociedad looks like they're good enough to sustain it valencia are rising getafe i can't believe are in fourth fourth i honestly thought they would spiral because they were going to be in european competitions and spread too thin. Sevilla look like they're not slowing down. Are you worried at all that they may they may not sneak in the top four? Or what do you think? No, not not really. We've seen this before. Um, there's been other seasons where Atletico Madrid have, have had a late surge, um, or not so much that they've had a late surge, but the, the other teams have fallen away. It happens every year with Sevilla, doesn't it? Sevilla, Sevilla in January, Sevilla are like the yeah. best team in January every year, and then they just absolutely collapse because they're knackered because they're playing in Europa League and. Yeah. Uh, I think the same, not the exact same, but a similar thing might happen with Hitafi. Um Although Hitafi did finish last season quite strong. Um, but I think Atletico can, can certainly finish in top four. Real Sofidad have, are, are very inconsistent. You know, they, they can be great one week and then really terrible the next one. So I think Atletico should certainly finish in the top four. And I think once all said and done, they will be third. But, you know, a good 15, 20 points behind Real Madrid and Barcelona, whereas... The last couple of years, I mean, remember the last couple of years, they didn't just finish in top three, they finished second two years in a row. So this is going to be a big drop-off. But as we've said, it's a transition year. And then I think Simeone is going to stick around and and go for it in 2020-21 when everything's in place. And in theory, they should be built to, to try and win things again. Uh, we have one patron question that just came in. We're going to take this and I think we're going to wrap it up after that. Uh Reminder, patreon.com slash managingmadrid is where you go to pledge, get guaranteed responses to your questions, get access to really three, at least three bonus shows per week. We have some fun content coming your way this week as well. Uh, Our patron, Rafael Servia, says, just a thought. We've been talking about this for a while now, but I think it's time to repose the question. Do you think the time has come to seriously consider getting rid of Gareth Bale and cutting our losses? No denying he's a great player when healthy, but he spends more time on the bench than in bed. Um, not even on the bench. Uh, many weeks he's he's often been left out of the squad, hasn't yeah. he? Wasn't in the squad for this one, even though he was completely healthy. Yeah. Zidane was asked about this, of course, uh, after the match. You know the the traditional bail question. It's not a press conference for Zidane unless someone mentions the word scarf bail. And he said, you know, he was he was fine. He's healthy. He he said Bale's motivated. He's engaged, but he had to leave some players out and. He decided to to leave Bale out, and I guess if he was going for this five man midfield, and it makes sense that um, you would cut some of the the wide players um, from from the bench than than elsewhere. But yeah, Zidane said he's going to count on Bale to the end of the season, and I think that's the case. Bale will play certain matches. There will be certain games where his skill set will will really be useful. Champions League, you always want to have him either in the lineup or on the bench because he thrives on the big occasions. 
And I think it's true that at this point in his career, Bale just isn't up for every game. He just, you know, the sort of smaller games against smaller teams, he just doesn't seem to care. But, you know, when there's a big game, a cup final, a semi-final, Champions League game, you know, he can show that he cares. He certainly shows it with Wales. So I think we can see a, a couple of good performances from Bale before the rest of the season. And then, well, then we'll have another summer saga, won't we, of, of whether he stays or goes. It'll be interesting to see with Asensio coming back too now. Because I honestly, I, I thought Asensio was just, we were going to write him off this season. No point in rushing him back. He's not going to play. Mm-hmm. They just included him in the Champions League squad. They added him. Um, and, um, you know, I think the ideal scenario for Real Madrid fans here is just that Zidane just pisses Bale off to the limit. And then brings him on in like a Champions League final really angry and getting getting another winning goal from him. That's like the ideal scenario. While the rest of the team just keeps the team afloat. But you're right. He hasn't been up for everything. Like the body language is just kind of, it's hit or miss. And you just don't know which version you're going to get. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. But this is a good place to wrap it up, I think. So we have uh, more content coming away this week. Post-game coverage on Manager Madrid. Player ratings. Ewan has published all the post-game press conference quotes. As, long, as well as his very famous now three questions, three answers post-game piece. Um, and uh, and also the tactical review will be up tomorrow and some other content too so make sure you keep it locked on managingmadrid.com Ewan thank you so much my friend um, hope you enjoy the rest of your day and uh, take care no problem at all you too before we wrap it up we wanted to give a quick shout out to all of our $10 plus patrons because if you pledge $10 or more you get a specific shout out on this podcast and we wanted to acknowledge and honor all these amazing $10 plus patrons Mikhail Nilsson, Frederick Sundros, John Fernandez, Said Mahat, Balaccio, Adam Dorsey, Frederick Rattakiro, Leon Stavronakis, Christian Gonzalez, Bjorn Salvador, Essa Hariri, Ilian Zako, Yahya Ibrahim, Willie Reed, Nick Ribeiro, Eric Rogers, Tyler Simon, Sad Omar, Oluwapamimo, Oladunjoy, Christian Toft, Charles Williams, Tark Sphere, Kunal Tilakar, Marin Myrtle, Tyler Dixon, Raul Gutierrez, Raga Poluri, Vicky Cohen, Gary Kohut, Sujai Wani, Peña Maradista, San Francisco Bay Area, Brandon Stevens, Casper Moscala, Catherine Fagundo, Zoran Bosnicic, Rafael Servia, Karen Scherer, Somanchu Singh, Brandon Powers, Rovi Tahiev, Anthony Armesto, Shabazz Sharapov, Varun, Bernard Kufur, Ashik Bashar, AMB6901, Faisal Hamdan, Alex Perez, Muxi Thangal, Sergio Arispe, Graham Gerard, Basil Adil, Kevin Ribera, Mikael Kruchon. Kruchon. Oh, welcome, Mikael. This is the first time I've seen your name. Sorry, it caught me off guard. Mikael Kruchon. Uh, Zafra Chowdhury, another new one. Magnus Lex, Jason Fitz, Solomon Ortiz, Fabian Moreno, Daniel Smith, Philip Hammer. Thank you guys so much for your support. If I ever put your name, please feel free to berate me on DMs and I will make sure to correct it because I want to get your names right. All right. Take care, guys. Hala Marit. <laughs>